Hello, my name is Braden Tier, and this is my portfolio project for the course Psychology of Human Sexuality. So for this assignment, we were tasked with creating some form of media expressing and hopefully uh, teaching about our personal interests uh, from what we learned about in regards to human sexuality. Um, I know I learned a lot over the course of this class and definitely had certain perspectives and viewpoints going into this class that changed. So I wanted to share that with anyone who chooses to listen. And I thought a very digestible way to express the things I personally found interesting was to create a podcast along with some guests. The idea here is hopefully to facilitate a greater discussion about the topics with a more back and forth and hopefully help me to answer some questions that you, a listener, may have throughout the podcast. So yeah, to get started, I'll introduce myself. My name is Braden Tier. I'm 21 years old, a psychology major, and I grew up in Lafayette, Louisiana. Now, if my guests would like to introduce themselves, name, age, major, and where you grew up, go ahead. Uh, my name's Nathaniel. I am 22. My major is in industrial technology, and I also grew up in Lafayette, Louisiana. My name is Stither. I am 21 years old. Uh, I am currently attending a community college for engineering. And I grew up in the west side, basically California. All right, cool. Thank you for joining me. So the uh, main reason why I wanted to know where you guys grew up is um, I wanted to kind of kind of discuss uh, the influences on sex. And so yeah, I kind of discovered uh, in this course, one of the biggest takeaways I had was how big of a role sex has on our lives as individuals and as a society. So uh, sex, kind of just like uh, any other innate thing to a human being, you know, shelter and food, it's, it's very important. And for that reason, it's heavily influenced by our culture. Um, there's a lot that uh, goes into what we believe and what we think is, you know, normal or, uh, you know, anything to do with sex. Yeah. So yeah. for me, uh, my culture is very, down here in the South, it's very conservative. Uh, it's a lot of, it's a lot of it's rooted in religious beliefs and traditional beliefs. Um, and then I also had some influence from, you know, media and peers as well. But for the most part, I'd say uh, it's, it's rather, you know, traditional. At least that's like yeah. what it was when I was growing up. And I'm assuming that's that's the way it is for a lot of a lot of people down in the south. Um, Definitely the same for me when I was growing up. Very uh, traditional religious roots in the way that we viewed sex. Yeah. So like, uh, there wasn't like sex before marriage. You know, that's not really uh, cool. I guess it is. It is yes. like more so it now. Is now, but, but growing when up, I was... that wasn't the case. When I was growing up, apps, it was absolutely not like you were like <clears throat> disgusting almost. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the idea of, you know, just having male and female as a gender, you know, the again, like more conservative kind of beliefs um, being very promiscuous, frowned upon. Uh, yeah. And also generally the topic of sex was kind of taboo um uh, it wasn't really discussed a whole lot 
when with my family kind of swept under the rug not fit for <laughs> the dinner table uh and then even in private it, it was rarely discussed so um i kind of wanted to ask you guys uh what do you think has influenced your sexual beliefs and uh what are those beliefs generally so for me um would definitely a lot of family roots and family traditions uh and that family oriented way of viewing sex where mm -hmm. you know um I'm more emotionally invested than I am in the the fun or the pleasure of it. Like yeah. yes, I do still like those and that's a fun part of it, but yeah, but I don't like, go around doing it with anyone just for fun. Yeah, like the idea is kind of, you know, you're getting with someone to build a family pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, like it's it's someone I love. It's someone I care about. We might you not necessarily ways. be trying to have a child at, the, at that moment, oh, yeah. but I'm not going out of my way and just doing it with anyone that wants to. I got you. And, you know, religion also had a big role in that, I think, because from very young, I had a lot of um, of those factors pushing me and telling me what was bad and what wasn't and you know confirmed catholic i had to go through catechism where you know they pushed nothing but abstinence as hard as they possibly could on me yeah <laughs> Dith? i would say the same thing uh that nathaniel said it used to be where you'd have to be with only one person and like be very uh like monogamous like you know only with one person yeah yeah, yeah 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 you have to be like very very sure you, you want to be with that person and mm -hmm. uh and then marriage has to come later but uh yeah. as the years went there on there was an expectation it, it just, of marriage pretty much and then as the years went on, it turned more into like a, oh, it's okay to do it for fun type of thing. Okay. So, like, you've grown to kind of not see sex in that way, I guess? Pretty much. I gotcha. Yeah, uh, I'd say same for me. Um, <clears throat> aside from religion and a lot of the, I guess, b beliefs we had from our upbringing, uh, media and uh peers and stuff kind of influenced i assume is the same for you guys but like that's most of uh where my information about sex came from was like the internet once i got access to the internet uh as a, as yeah. a teenager and then um talking about it with friends not really family and stuff that's where a lot of my understandings uh grew and i became curious um my family, like I said, it was something that was swept under the rug. It wasn't ever discussed. So I wasn't getting any kind of discussion from them. And then school, I had sex ed, uh, like I'm sure you guys did. But even that wasn't very uh, informative. Or if it was, I didn't retain a whole lot of it. So for me, um, uh, one of the things I learned about sex education is that generally there's only three approaches. Okay, so there's the abstinence only approach, abstinence plus approach, 
and comprehensive sex education approach. And when I learned about that, that was very kind of eye-opening. So abstinence only is the focus of, you know, just teaching to abstain. There's no discussion of uh, contraception, condoms aren't provided, none of that. Abstinence plus is, abstinence is like, you know, the best policy and the main focus, but uh, you are provided with information on contraceptions and condoms. And then the last one, comprehensive sex education, abstinence isn't the primary goal. It's not emphasized, you know, students are provided with a vast, you know, range of information and the focus is on developing responsible decision-making skills when it comes to sexual activity. So for me personally, I remember, I think it was like in eighth grade when I had my sex education and we were separated by sex, it was optional and it had the abstinence plus approach. So like the main goal was abstinence, but we were provided and showed how to use condoms, but that was about it. Generally, it was, it was kind of like they wanted to put fear into us about sex. And I think that was kind of due to the traditional ways we view sex down in the South. I, I was made to believe sex, like there wasn't a positive side to it, you know? It was kind of just something I should abstain from completely. <laughs> because of, you know, the diseases it could give me and such. Uh, yeah. So what was y'all's uh, experience with sex education? Was it same, so, very similar? Like how For old were me, you? I was probably like, eh, I was definitely in middle school. I'd say like uh, six, sixth grade, I think. I definitely got the opportunity to do sex education in public school. Okay. And... Uh, you know, your parents have to sign off to let you mm -hmm. go to it. Um, yeah. I had that too. What I what I'd got taught was, you know, they they did show us how to put the condom on and that we should use the condom, and they told us all about all the percentages and whatnot that they could be effective, and you know, that doesn't take very long to show. Mm -hmm. So for the rest of the class, they pretty much just showed us things like the types of STDs you could get, the, you know, the, um, what they do to you and all of these reasons why you really shouldn't be having sex, which yeah. leads me to believe that, you know, they did teach that abstinence plus approach. And then outside of the, my middle school, cause I did confirm Catholic. And in catechism, they did teach us that abstinence. That's like two different types of, you know, sex education I got. I got a purely religious one and then also the one provided by the state. Okay. <clears throat> um, what about you, Diff? So the, the way mine went was, well, I was taught in sixth grade. Uh, it was, I was also given a sheet of paper that, I, that my parents had to sign. Where if he was okay with uh with that type of stuff with the with the showings of s sexual stuff the teachings, and uh, he ended up saying yes, and uh, it was it was abstinence at, at first, and then the latest I can remember being showed sex ed again was in ninth grade, and then it turned to abstinence plus I believe. So they would show us like how condoms work and the pill and stuff like that. So you actually had like two courses? See, okay. Yes. You just reminded me 
of a memory I had. I actually, in high school, I did also get a second sex education. Really? But it was it was purely optional. Hmm. Um, and you know, you, the parents didn't have to agree to it or anything either. Um, this was like a purely like student optional thing, and it was just something a service that one of our teachers was providing. She did show uh she did preach abstinence more than anything but she really dived into uh you know what these contraceptives do and you know how both of the male and female bodies work because i didn't learn that in middle school what i learned in middle school was purely just how the male body works because they did separate us by sex so when i was in sixth grade, learning how to put a condom on, I still didn't know women got a period. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I had the same thing, but I didn't retain any of it. I, like, I don't even really remember that, but now that you said it, uh, I definitely had that. From, my, from what I remember, I didn't think ours was optional. Uh, I took a health class, and we were forced to take it, I believe. See, I had to take the health class, but the, the sex education part was opt in yeah. or opt out. <clears throat> there was a portion Actually, of the no, class. I think I remember in the beginning, like, if, if you were taking the health class, you were given a flyer to see if you would actually take it. <laughs> I believe. That's funny. Huh. But, and then in the class, they showed us how to, how to use a pill and stuff like that, the condom. Yeah, we but learned was... about... Sorry, go on. Uh, we learned about the, the pill, condom, um, even at the time, uh, a fringe science, and it still kind of is, the, the male contraceptive pill. We learned about that. We also got taught about each other's bodies. So I learned about the periods and, you know, uh, the way women yeah. put a tampon in or other ways of of blocking or absorbing that discharge. Yeah, see, I didn't learn about any of that. Or if I did, I don't remember it. <laughs> um, so, like, when I took this course, a lot of the forms of contraception were really new to me. Uh, yeah. Which I do recommend, you know, learning about those things, especially if you're sexually active. They're, you know, pretty important to know. But, like, all I really knew about was, you know, condoms and the pill. <laughs> uh, up until, like, I read about all the different types of uh, contraception for male and female <clears throat> so that was uh definitely interesting to learn uh one thing i wanted to talk about is people who um advocate for this abstinence only approach kind of argue that you know giving too much info to teenagers promotes sex uh, yeah and then yeah. the other approaches the more inclusive approaches those advocates argue that like teens are gonna have sex no matter what they're taught so they need to learn how to protect themselves and so the whole idea that teaching kids uh, about sex encourages them to do it is not really true research shows giving teenagers honest info you know about abstinence and contraception so that they can make better decisions are more likely to delay sex have fewer partners and use condoms or other comp contraception when they do become sexually active uh, reading about that I thought was very interesting because, yeah, again, growing up here, any, like, discussion of sex is, any promotion of sex, you know, it's taboo. 
yeah it's not definitely not okay so especially anything that's like before marriage yeah right yeah yeah to build off of that we talked about how sex is uh heavily influenced by culture well culture is very different in other places like you know in china or africa in like a tribe or something that's secluded from their you know the society that they would be a part of because they live out in like you know nature or whatever they have developed uh different beliefs and different ideas of what sex is so like for example some cultures ignore sex as anything other than a means of reproduction or like kissing is just an exchange of saliva nothing romantic or intimate about it you know that's just crazy to me like I, it's something that i probably would never have considered unless you like told me about it just even the fact that there could be other humans out here that just don't even consider sex in a uh, fun or or like desirable kind of way euphoria yeah euphoric way you know that it's just a tool that's just to continue living on through your children right right uh the same same for me that was one of the biggest takeaways like i said was how big of a part sex plays in people you know and so in in, in cultures and in societies and all around the world and it's very different all around the world and so yeah uh, I had the same kind of revelation, like, dang, that's crazy. <laughs> it kind of shows how cut off we are down here, I guess. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> very, very conservative down here. Yeah. Um, And so, like, the beginning of this class was actually very controversial for me. Like, learning about it, in my own mind, it was, it was kind of like, uh, it wasn't hard to grasp some ideas. It was just like, shouldn't be reading about this almost... <laughs> But yeah, eventually like, yeah, like, I got over it. Rated something a little higher. Yeah, I don't know. Then, like, because my experience right. up to this point was like what we discussed: very little sex education, no discussion from my family, uh, and then the internet. <laughs> the internet. Yeah, appears, that was it. <laughs> and I come into this class, and it lays everything out for me. Is very, you know, open about everything, uh, and very informative. So. Did you ever feel like leaving the class after the controversial part of the lesson started for you anyways? Uh, so a lot of the class was actually online, <laughs> but uh, actually, yeah, uh, a part of me was kind of at, at one point I was kind of like, you know, <laughs> this class isn't for me <laughs> and I would just, I would just leave. But, uh, right. <clears throat> no, I stuck with it. Um, and I kind of got out the you know, conservative mindset that I usually have about a lot of these things. And it, yeah, I guess I just opened my mind to it, you know, (laughs) which sounds kind of cheesy. But after doing that, I learned a lot. Like there is a bunch in here that uh, in this class and in in the uh, readings, that was all new to me. Like, uh, like a lot of it. Okay. So a lot of the things that I, I read about, I had like some knowledge on, but I didn't realize how ignorant I actually was, like, because there was very little compared to the whole grand scheme of it kind of deal. Yeah. <clears throat> would you would you say that the class potentially has changed any of your views or just 
opened your mind to them more than you maybe have previously? I I don't think it changed. Well, no, actually, yeah, I'd say it changed my opinions on some things. Just reading the readings, reading those things about, I guess, just how different it could be, how much yeah. like more potential and options there are. Like sexuality, like Alfred Kinsey was like a huge proponent of sex being fluid, not something that's black and white. And so yeah. that for me, like straight up, that was the biggest revelation. The biggest takeaway is that I kind of view sexuality as something fluid now. Before it was, you're either <clears throat> heterosexual or you're homosexual. Maybe you're something in between or, but just the idea that he brought to the table, which was uh, through his research, which was um, everyone is different, you know, Everyone is like always changing too, like learning that, hey, they're actually into this or they're uh, into this and so on and so forth. Like you're always changing and developing and it's no different when it comes to your sexuality. And so you might have not liked one thing uh, a couple years ago, but now you do because <laughs> you <laughs> found it out. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, just that idea was kind of mind-blowing but uh very interesting and it just resonated so well with me so to start off alfred kinsey was a professor or a, he was actually a biologist at the uh at indiana university and founded the institute for sex research in 1947 and he created these these works called the kinsey reports and basically they're yep. compiled data that he and his team like their research all compiled into like two books, one about men or males and one about females, I believe, where he did like 18,000 face-to-face interviews. Uh, he ca- questioned the actual sexual belief, uh, behaviors and beliefs of Americans and caused like huge controversy over what society thought was normal or standard. Because as, yeah. it, as like his research showed and as we found out, many taboo behaviors were actually much more common and remain relevant to this day. So... He kind of paved the way for uh, more avenues of sexual research. Um, like I said, concluded sexuality is much more fluid. And he wanted to get rid of the idea of distinguishing normal and abnormal behaviors. He thought it was meaningless. Yeah. And he created something called the Kinsey Scale, which is actually pretty interesting. So in his research, he found that 50% of men that he questioned and 28% of women that he questioned had same-sex experiences and discovered sexual attractions change over time. The Kinsey scale uh, basically says that you're not solely heterosexual or you're not solely homosexual. Yeah. Or you can be, but that it's not as simple as that. It's a little bit of both maybe or you know somewhere in between. So he has a scale. You could actually just look it up. Uh, it's like zero to six saying like you're completely heterosexual, uh, completely or mostly heterosexual with like, you know, incidental homosexual experiences or like you know halfway you're equally homo and heterosexual for example so his work is very interesting i I would recommend looking him up alfred kinsey seems like very prominent in the 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 scene of sexual studies yeah um so him and masters and johnson was another one another researcher that did a lot for research on sex you know they thought to study the physiological aspect of sex so like what responses people have during instances or uh 
sexual stimulation instances of uh, sexual behavior. And so just like they hooked up machines to people pretty yeah. much during sex and discovered that male and female sexual responses are very similar and that women uh, experience orgasm primarily through clitoral stimulation. That wasn't necessarily new to me, but it was just interesting that that's how that came about before. Like, yeah, we didn't know before. That. <laughs> before we didn't <laughs> know, much. yeah, they had to hook some freaking probes up to some people yeah. and got it. Because back then, the belief was, you know, men and women orgasmed, I guess, from having intercourse. In yeah. actuality, yeah. women don't need uh to experience penetration to reach orgasm. And so they figured that out. Uh, on top of that, they revolutionized the way we treat sexual problems uh, by using behavioral therapy. So again, back in the day, yeah. things oh. like masturbation and homosexuality were seen as diseases or illnesses. And so they were usually treated through electric shock therapy, for example. Like it was thought that yeah. something was wrong with your brain. In actuality, it can be fixed with, uh, or not fixed, but like, sexual problems that people had can just be you know talked about through behavioral therapy and resolved that way like yeah just as people yeah. have depression or anxiety about anything else they also have those issues with sex and so the same same treatment can be applied to those issues masters and johnson also created the sexual response cycle another uh, diagram that you can look up so that was a model of physiological responses to, to sexual sexual stimulation and it uh, comes in four phases so the first one is excitement then plateau then orgasm and then resolution uh it was discovered that men and women like experience these phases just at different times uh and actually unlikely reach orgasm at the same time i think uh traditionally it was kind of thought when you have sex you orgasm at the same time or like that's kind of a misconception that uh people yeah. have that's not the case <laughs> i talked about how Masturbation and homosexuality are kind of used to be viewed as uh, illnesses or diseases. And so a guy named Havelock Ellis was actually credited with normalizing those behaviors and did a lot to influence our current perspective on them, as well as declaring, you know, females have the same sex drive as males. Yeah. So when I think of like traditional beliefs, what comes to mind is like men are were seen as like very sexually aggressive and desired sex a whole lot you know women on the yeah, other I hand had uh, practically no sexual desire have like ellis kind of showed us that's not the case either females have just as much of a desire as males if not you know more again everyone is different some men have a very low libido for example and some women have a very high libido yeah on on that particular note I personally experienced that a lot. Mm -hmm. And even then, in the fluidity of it, my first, like, truly active relationship I had, I was doing it all the time, you know? Like, uh -huh. both both of us wanted it a lot. And now that I'm in my, uh, my, my second very active relationship, I've, I've, I personally have chilled out a lot. And it's just like, it's just crazy to me how I can just go from one to the uh, to the next and just completely change how I feel. Huh. Do it's you think it's, do you think it's because you're already technically high experience and now you're like, well, 
maybe it's time for me to like chill hours um i'm really not sure but um i do think that might be a part of it is that i i feel like i i have done like i did the fun part mm-hmm. i guess but I, got I think it also has to be that i just feel more secure okay it's interesting that you say like you know in one relationship you were i guess having sex a lot and then in yeah another one not so much uh there's actually something called the coolidge effect which was something i found interesting is that males will have like a a renewed sexual interest whenever a new female is introduced to have sex with okay yeah i can i can agree <laughs> that i did feel that <laughs> When I read about this, I kind of knew it was a thing, you know, that like men, I guess, were were capable of, this might not sound too nice, but like, you know, getting tired of their partner and yeah, finding, like, like I just said, a renewed sexual interest in someone else or someone new. And, I mean, I watched you. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> reading about that was actually pretty interesting that there's a an effect for it, you know, that it's, it's a thing. It's, yeah, it's that it's studied. a real thing. It's, and uh, it's not like... Right phenomena so i i definitely recommend looking into those people alfred kinsey havelock ellis and masters and johnson they were big proponents of sexual research so what is y'all's view on circumcision are you circumcised Um, are you okay with being circumcised are you going to circumcise your children all that good stuff i am i am circumcised I'm not upset about it. I have, you know, these, I don't know how true a lot of these could be, but I've heard that being circumcised is the better feeling experience. Oh, really? I've also read that getting circumcised also removes tons of nerves off of. Yeah, that's what I've heard. That region. I think I'll have to see like what the more common thing families are doing at the time. Hmm if i'll decide to do that or not because for me it will be more of a situation that i don't want if i have a boy at some point in my life i don't want him to be scared or worried or concerned that whatever he finds in his life or what he sees or someone tells him that he will be like other people and not some crazy weird thing all on his own Okay. What about you, dear? I am. And I've never really heard what Nathaniel said. I've never heard or what you said. You are circumcised? Well. Yes. Okay. Uh, you never heard about the it being that... better one way or the other? No. I've never really understood what it was really for. Um, It's just something you had. <laughs> because it's not something, again, nobody really like talks about it. It's not like something to discuss about okay so you just like don't know a whole lot like about it no it's purpose or anything like that one way or the other that's interesting so there's a bit more work that you have to do if you are uncircumcised (laughs) you have to regularly like clean down there uh the uh smegma i think is what it's called or something oh yeah and so there are kind of arguments about the ethical issues of circumcising someone uh, yeah. at, at a young age, you know, like at infant, like whether that's right, because there's essentially uh, two sides to circumcision. One uh, is that 
it's good. There's arguably a bunch of benefits to it, such as a lower chance of contracting certain STIs, including like HIV. It provides hygienic uh, and other health benefits. For example, there's a condition where your, someone's foreskin can be too tight and cause painful erections. And there's no evidence that circumcision necessarily takes away any senses or uh, sexual satisfaction or function. So there's a lot of support for circumcision in the medical field. However, that research has kind of been critiqued because a lot of those studies were done in Africa. The STI preventative study uh, was done in Africa. So some argue that it improves sexual health and all that good stuff. And others argue that it shouldn't be performed unless there's a true medical need. Now, usually it's done for religious reasons. And also it's like, why not just let men decide when they're older? Like, what's the harm in that? There are some people who regret having had their foreskin removed and consider circumcision unethical, like I said. So whether a decision they it was a decision they made as an adult or something they had done as an infant, some people will actually try to uh, get back their foreskin through either surgery, like skin grafts, or non-surgically, they use weights to like stretch existing skin over years. That's really interesting. I've never heard of that. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't either. Uh, <laughs> uh, and do you know if it works? <laughs> yeah, does it's so like yeah. I assume it does work. I think it's like not as you know, like it wouldn't be as sensitive, huh? You mean like stretching the skin specifically? Is that what? You, like... Yes, like it wouldn't be as sensitive as it would have been if they never cut it off in the first yeah, yeah. place. Yeah, uh, So I think. That's one big complaint is like it's never going to be the same kind of even through surgical means people try to but it's not yeah it's not the same it would have been I guess better or different if they had just never been circumcised in the first place right there's actually even variations to uh, circumcision in certain cultures so like there's a, something called super incision or a dorsal slit which is a lengthwise slit made in the upper portion of the foreskin uh, that reveals just the glands of the penis without complete removal of the foreskin. That was also something I had okay. never heard of. I found no, I've never heard of that. <laughs> but generally, uh, yeah, I'm also uncircumcised. I mean, I am also circumcised. Sorry. And besides the ethical issues, I really see no problem with getting circumcised or having my child circumcised without their permission. You know, that's the only like, yeah, part that. I'm concerned about is yeah is it unethical you're doing something to someone that essentially can't be reversed not not perfectly at least yeah another thing that i learned about there's a thing called female genital cutting yeah okay yeah i think i've heard of this <laughs> so that is it's permanently damaging or removing portions of a woman's external genitals when it is not medically necessary oh. So yeah, it's just um, just aesthetically. Yeah, so altering them. It's done to uh, ensure that a woman remains a virgin until marriage. It's kind of societal oh, like, or like traditional. Is that like a like a mutilation almost, where it's like it's not aesthetically pleasing? I'm not sure. I would imagine because usually the way that it's done is with like a broken piece of glass or like a oh, no. dirty blade. Like okay, so this is why it's very bad. So it's either yeah. done for that reason, it's like an initiation right to adulthood, so again, like circumcision can be, or it's a way of, like you said, aesthetically improving the appearance of the genitals. 
So improving with air quotes because, you know, yeah. that's subjective. Yeah. It sounded horrendous to me when I first read about it because it is usually done before puberty. It's very painful, uh, usually in very unsanitary conditions and just offers many potential health risks. Like there's hardly any upside to this. Yeah, um, just completely <laughs> unnecessary. It's not like you get to not clean smegma anymore. <laughs> right. There is a little controversy with this because on one hand, it is like a religion's beliefs to do this. Like it's tradition for a religion. So, yeah. you know, we have freedom of religion here. So how can we really say no? But on the other hand, it, you know, it's <laughs> very unethical, especially the way it's often practiced. Yeah. Right. My take on it is like, if it's something that's done willingly, it's culturally expected and regularly practiced, then I feel like I can't really argue against it, especially as a male yeah but yeah. there is the argument that women are socially pressured into it although they say that they're willing and all that are they really you know and like how would we know if it's a society that that's one of the things that their society revolves around in a way who are we to come in and you know say don't do that <laughs> especially in yeah. societies yeah. where it's common and women are scarcely heard i can uh, definitely see that so I don't know. Uh, I think overall, honestly, I'm like against that, but it's gonna keep on happening. Probably. I think, yeah, <laughs> I think in it's it's pretty hypocritical, I suppose. But I would definitely against the <laughs> mutilization of women's genitalia. Well, I'd still get my boy circumcised if that's what everyone else is doing. Yeah, the views on circumcision, you know, and uh, the female genital cutting. Uh, Again, more things that are just were only surprising to me and only new to me because of where I live or what I grew up around. Yeah, you know, if I lived in the in Asia, uh, <laughs> this might not be so absurd. Yeah, so it's, it and, just goes to show just how much sex is influenced. Yeah, can I speak on something that I learned about recently? Go for it. Morgan had informed me recently about something I had never heard of in my whole life. Morgan's and it's girlfriend. called the um, Morgan is my girlfriend. The husband stitch. Are you? Have you heard of this? I have not. It is a unethical, and you can sue for this unagreed operation oh. that doctors do after women give birth, where oh. they sew their vagina tighter, huh. and it only causes problems and it's painful. And it only serves men in that situation. Jeez. Yeah, no, I've not heard of that. Right. Blew my mind. Blew yeah. my mind. Huh. I was like, that is probably like the most messed up thing I've heard like a doctor doing commonly, at least in in the United States. <laughs> this is a great segue into <laughs> intersex people. Okay. So there's a, a TED talk that um, we watched in the class called, uh, well, it's Emily Quinn, uh, Emily Quinn's TED talk. It's, it's very interesting. Uh, it's not very long either. I'd definitely recommend checking it out. But basically, she is an intersex person. So like she has, for all intents and purposes, has the appearance of a female or like the, you know, yeah. the whatever we normally would consider a female. She's that like to a T. But she has balls. She okay. has them where her ovaries would be. And so some of the things she talks about is how 
mistreated intersex people are at birth and like throughout their life they'll be told because they're abnormal that they actually they have cancer is uh oh. i think what she says and so they need to do surgery to to cut out the cancer or like you know to to fix it and so what they actually yeah. go and do is remove her her balls or something for example yeah now she she didn't get it done she still has them to this day and they're they're not cancerous there's or there's a very very small percentage uh of chance that they would be probably um, the same as any other man yeah with balls just that whole act is like that's it's not uncommon for that to happen so two percent of people are intersex and most will be told they need to have surgery or lied to in some way by their doctors instead of told the truth that really? you know they're they're just not normal is pretty much all it is they'll be lied that's, to saying they have cancer or some other you know thing like that that's because, really upsetting <laughs> yeah just because they have both ovaries and balls or like yeah. whatever the case might be learning about that was very very eye-opening uh, i'm gonna have to watch this TED talk later <laughs> a, a ted talk yeah okay i'm gonna have to uh, watch i this. thought you said TikTok. <laughs> no 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 i'm gonna have to okay, watch yeah, this yeah. ted talk uh, later yeah doctors themselves struggle to face the and expose the reality of this because it is not quote-unquote normal it's just evident of like how truly wrong our society treats not only emotionally but physically people that don't fit within our um expectations you know yeah uh and this is the case for many different aspects of sexuality because there are a ton of minorities in sexuality if you're not a heterosexual male <laughs> you, you're probably getting like, <laughs> yeah screwed over so, so yeah uh emily quinn i would definitely recommend going watch that one thing that i learned about during this class just kind of a connection that i personally made was like Women typically have a concern about the size of their breasts. So first off, I didn't really know that. But what I kind of realized was how that mirrors men's concerns about the size of their penis. And so like both concerns are believed to have developed through the media and social beliefs. Yeah. Uh, women need to have big breasts and men need to have a, a big penis when the reality is that very few people will match up to what we see, you know, on movies and uh and yeah and magazines and all that triple x movies <laughs> right yeah and on porn <laughs> most men and women in heterosexual relationships report that they are perfectly sexually satisfied with their partners opposing body parts yes most would, people report that you know so like i i would be satisfied right so <laughs> It's not. It's a, it's a little sad that we have such a huge focus on appearance and uh, unrealistic body types are uh, essentially expected to be the standard in our society. Yeah. Just on, on that note, I have a surprisingly large amount of uh, self-image problems as, right. a, as a person, and one of those does happen to be the, um, the size of my genitals. And yeah. it's just weird how much that that sits in my mind, and that I can't ignore it, even though my partners have been nothing but satisfied. Right. No. Yeah. Me too. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I have. I, I grew up very overweight, 
you know and eventually yeah. I, I lost a lot of weight but even still i have body image problems and stuff because i uh, think a lot is because of kind of what we're expected to definitely look like in the eyes of the media <laughs> or like yeah. what's often portrayed that's all that's all we consume and all we see is you know the media big, so like big arnold schwarzenegger <laughs> yeah that type of figure so that's what people everyone strives to be and 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 wants when in reality most people are satisfied with the average i guess yeah all right so obviously something that came up during this class had to be double standards now there are a bunch of them in our society but <laughs> uh, the ones that stuck out to me a little bit uh, that i wanted to kind of bring up were um how women are over-sexualized, you know, again, back to like media, they're usually over-sexualized and pressured to be sexually attractive, but at the same time expected to be virgins, or at least traditionally that was definitely the case, yeah. maybe less so now, but, you know, avoid sexual relations out of fear of being labeled a slut or a whore or whatever. <clears throat> Men, on the other hand, are mostly praised for being promiscuous or sexually active. Like you're yeah. throwing high fives and stuff <laughs> like it's, yeah right it's cool um it's just an interesting double standard that as as someone as someone who commonly walks a uh a more neutral line on on stances like that i personally do have some problems with people being overly sexual and and gloating about it men and women I, I it's something that i don't enjoy yeah. from either side any pers any reason why or why do you think i think it probably sits on the fact that i have traditional values towards sex so mm -hmm. as soon as like you're gloating and it's like a trophy instead of you know that they just love this person and that's why they did it that gets to me and i understand that's that's just not the norm anymore but right you know and i'm not gonna rub it in anyone's face and put anyone down for it but that's just how i personally feel oh yeah when uh, i hear about it and like you know it's perfectly fine if that's how you want to do it but like that was one of the things actually specifically but also in a broader sense you know one of the things that in this course uh in my own mind i kind of had to get past was like it's it's okay to be sexually active or be very sexually promiscuous, even if you're male or female or some somewhere in between, you know, uh, if it's not something you seek or like you want to practice personally, then that's cool too. Yeah. Like I've constantly gone over is like, everyone's different. Everyone has different expectations or desires or, uh, behaviors themselves. So I definitely agree. That was, yeah, that was one of the things that like, yeah, at first, like, on the face of it kind of didn't sit well with me maybe but as i read like more and more about it i kind of either got over it or like even accepted the other perspective yeah or at least you know uh understood like i can i can see it right and that's probably why it doesn't like i don't like boil and i, I come at people <laughs> for it yeah but um i can i can see why people would enjoy it it's just something i don't personally no, yeah. partake in and like perfectly entitled to that yeah so like one of the things that 
I'd say really hard for me to grasp at first was like gender identity. So a lot of people kind of view gender, at least here, you know, as binary, <laughs> as in, you know, yeah. there's only male and yeah, female. Yeah, in the, in the South, it's definitely, it's, it's not taken on as much as it could. Yeah, for sure. But now, like today, we're seeing a lot more of a gender variant or gender non-conforming people. What that means is people who are questioning their gender or feeling limited by just two genders. So they're yeah. either saying they're not male or female, like they're not restricting themselves or there's something you know else, there's something more, whatever the case might be. It's, it's a little stigmatized, but it's being reevaluated as normal and more socially acceptable. Yeah. So like, go ahead. I, I already have a friend that's non-binary. Mm-hmm. They, they prefer to be called they or them. Right. And I actually, I've already had a coworker who openly identified as they, them. And in my experience, at least in a professional workplace sense, everyone was completely okay with it. And it was really surprising for me to see in, you know, little, <laughs> little Southern town conservative yeah. and everyone's just fine with it. Right. Yeah. In this course, there were a bunch of people who had pronouns that they wanted, or you were, you know, you were welcome to uh, have pronouns, I guess. It was, yeah. it was kind of promoted in this course. So that was odd for me to see. And there's kind of a bit of, I guess, adapting that society has to do if uh, being gender variant is to become the norm. But to my understanding, it gets a little controversial, obviously. And I think it <laughs> yeah. might be because there's this idea that there can't be more than two genders. Um, I'm hesitant to accept that idea because there's nothing wrong with bender, being gender binary to me, you know, if you're male or yeah. female, like there's nothing wrong with that. And so I kind of thought maybe that's the issue is that gender binary people feel like their belief and point of view is under question for being wrong. You know, like there should be allowed more than two genders in society when yeah. the reality is that there might just be more possibilities than society currently demonstrates. Like they yeah. can, people can be gender binary and that can be okay. And people can also be gender nonconforming and that can be okay. Under cognitive social learning theory, gender identity and other behaviors and attitudes is a form of socialization. So it would kind of reason that gender will inevitably be influenced by an external source and therefore not something that can be determined by biologically because you're assigned to gender at birth. And that's kind of the issue some people have is that they just don't want to identify as that gender that they were given at birth, either because, you know, maybe biologically they they don't solely have the parts we identify as with being a male. They yeah. might have a little bit of both or something else, you know, going on. So in that instance, I kind of understand. Actually, Germany has a gender of undetermined for newborns that don't have typical male or female characteristics physical characteristics and i thought that was really interesting that's really you, that is really cool and really progressive can you elaborate a little bit more on that if you can like how does that come to be i guess like how do you how do you get that that gender identification in germany yeah yeah i'm assuming it's because the doctors find out that what you have going on isn't normal you yeah know, quote unquote normal okay. it's not like like i said it's not 
what we normally associate with being a man. So, you, you know, penis balls um testosterone yeah, it, could, it could be something like it, like if in, <clears throat> emily quinn if, like if emily quinn was born in germany they would have given her that now right so like you might be you might have like a penis and balls but you have xxy chromosomes or something like that whatever it might be and it might be something that isn't discovered at at birth and so that's yeah. again that's kind of what i said a second ago was like people find out later on they're not entirely male so they maybe don't want to be identified as a male or maybe yeah, they do right. in some cases either way it is what it is and so it should be okay and it should be acceptable that they don't want to be labeled that way i definitely agree so the idea of gender fluidity is supported by behavioral psychology which says, you know, that all behaviors are a result of our environments and a form of conditioning rather than something internal. So that's kind of the idea that being gender fluid takes on is that gender can change just as like sexuality can be fluid. Gender is something that can be fluid and that can change and develop. I remember having a conversation within this this year actually before you took this class on a very long car ride <laughs> with oh, you yeah. along these lines um yeah. do you think that your mind might have been broadened more or that you <laughs> might accept some so i'm hesitant to say what i'm feeling but i, I do you think don't the idea to. is is weird i guess yeah but i have to kind of ask myself like what does that even really mean? It's only weird because it's not normal. And just because yeah. it's not normal doesn't mean it can't be okay. Like I said, again, there's a ton of minorities in, in, in sexual behaviors and sexual beliefs. And I don't know. I just feel like now, like, I guess, yeah, it should be okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just, just because everyone's different. So I wanted to ask you guys, there's a lot of socialization that goes into the de development of our gender roles as we grow up. So yep. can you remember how your childhood was skewed to be maybe more traditionally masculine or uh, how you were treated or expected to act certain ways? Um, if you want, I can I can go first. So you guys can kind of brew on what you want to say. Traditionally, I guess boys are expected to be with the, you know, like the color blue, for example. They're expected to have, yeah. have more masculine mm. toys and yep. colors and things like that. Girls are expected to play with Barbies and be put in dresses and, uh, you know, wear pink things. So for um, yeah. what I can remember, personally, I don't think my childhood was particularly skewed for me to be one way or the other. Like, I remember wearing more neutral colored clothes. And I actually watched shows like uh, Zoe 101, which focused, you know, more on like romance and stuff. And then I also watched yeah. Power Rangers, which focused on violence. <laughs> um, and so I was mostly raised by my mom. So being emotional, wearing pink, being interested in more feminine activities wasn't necessarily questioned. So that being said, I did feel a pressure socially from peers and some family members. Even still, I do. I feel those pressures to not show weakness or complain, to not wear pink and be interested in more masculine activities like hunting and fishing, for example. I do still feel those pressures, but I'm more comfortable now to where I can ignore them, you know? For example, like, I grew, I grew up playing soccer, baseball, and football, and continue yeah. to see the same trends for my younger male cousins as they grow up, 
and my female cousins are raised playing softball and volleyball or taking dance lessons. Today, I, along with some of those same male cousins, play volleyball <laughs> more than any yeah. other sport than I was raised playing. So how is it for you guys? Do you think like you, uh, your childhood was skewed one way or so, the other? I'd say that mine was pretty even, but not because I was necessarily raised evenly, but just because okay. I hit large influences from each side, if that makes sense. So like, okay, my my dad, you know, he raised me to be very pretty masculine. Never really opened up emotionally mm, with me yeah. on much things, and pretty heavy handedly trying to get me into things like sports and hunting and all that stuff. You know, being handy with your hands and tools and yep, and some of those yep. skills I appreciate getting and being taught. And then on the other hand. You know, when I wasn't around him and say I was with my grandmother, um, all of my cousins are Females. girls, <laughs> all girls. So <laughs> any toys that were at my grandmother's house when I was little, it's all Barbies and girl toys. And I did play with them because I was a bored kid. Right. <clears throat> you know, I was I was more than welcome to play with those when I was very small. I did actually watch a lot of Dora. <laughs> um, yeah, me too. I watched a lot of Dora. I did watch Zoe 101 as well. I just, I didn't get into the emotional side of myself very young. So gotcha. I've, I'm probably skewed a little more masculine than feminine. Mm -hmm. Though over the years of uh, growing up more adult and on my own, I've probably skewed myself a little more towards the middle these days cool cool yeah i have the same problem uh, I, I guess you wouldn't really call it a problem yeah basically raised as masculine not as masculine as possible but like more leaning towards the masculine even though like i watch Thor and stuff but i also like watch like diego or like the power rangers or yeah um, yeah more shows <laughs> leaning towards the male audience yeah, Diego um, wasn't around when I was growing up. <laughs> uh, um, Blue's Clues and stuff like that. I did watch Blue's Clues. And so, like, and that's why, like, when I play with my cousins, like, oh, look at all these, like, guns and, like, soldiers and cool stuff. Yeah. Soccer. Yeah. And now I'd like to think that I'm more middle ground. And it's mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, this is also, like, cool. Like, I could understand why someone would like that. Yeah, thing. like I'll watch a chick flick. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> nothing wrong with a good a good romance. Yep. So yeah, for me, gender norms, you know, are something I feel like uh, I have always been aware of. I wasn't really raised with maybe a strong male figure to make me out as more masculine, but did have those social pressures to stray away from femininity. Um, yeah, I was always curious why actors and actresses in film were typically given the same respective roles in a household, you know, or like treated in ways that matched their typical gender roles. Like the, you know, the woman was always cleaning, cooking, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I never questioned was, it. <laughs> was uh, coming home from work and stuff like that. I generally never questioned it until becoming a young adult. And most of what I have learned has been in my recent years from more progressive forms of media 
and peers undergoing, you know, the same exposure and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, my viewpoint of like the uh, the pressures that I get, um, they, those pressures are definitely still there from certain people or from, you know, certain, I guess, places. But uh, for sure. Yeah, generally, I'd say I'm more middle of the road, too. But I, I just, uh, it was an interesting, I guess, thought to kind of think about my childhood, how I grew up compared yeah. to the gender roles yeah. and stuff like that, gender norms. And it's something I, I actually don't think I've done till just now. <laughs> right. <laughs> so a lot of parents kind of attempt, maybe not a lot, but some parents definitely attempt to be more progressive and yeah and try not to like label their kids right away or you know put them under gender norms so like if they're raised as or if they're born a boy they don't necessarily give them blue just boy stuff yeah you know guns and soldiers they give them options to do both or to play in other sports take maybe not dance lessons uh but you know possibly whatever yeah like just some try to try to keep it more neutral essentially as they're raising them i don't know are do you guys think attempts at remaining at remaining uh gender neutral are worth it i think that it could be worth it but i i think that it shouldn't necessarily be like just trying to keep it neutral but just showing your children everything yeah. both sides yeah. and then whatever they want to gravitate <laughs> towards might be better off letting them go do that right so that might also be the idea is that maybe you don't try to go in between both sides but rather you just oh, yeah. you expose them to both masculine and feminine behaviors and toys and colors and whatever else uh, i kind of feel like trying to remain gender neutral could work out yeah kind of like why yeah. not why not give it a shot? But at the end of the day, uh, I wonder if, you know, society and like peer pressure and whatever else won't just throw all that out the window. <laughs> uh, yeah. There is a lot of, you know, child psychology that influences us as adults. So raising a child a certain way will no doubt have lasting effects. And so maybe raising them neutrally trying to raise them neutrally will have uh more lasting effects than like you know a pressure from society or more more positive effects yeah that that too but i i just i i wonder if it would be worth it or if it wouldn't just be better to raise them like we always have yeah <laughs> i mean because it's it's worked right yeah i guess if you just put yourself in the mindset of yeah you're fully okay with like someone being gender variant and you want that possibility for your child, then yeah, I'd probably try and raise them as neutral as possible. Yeah. Tip. Your hot um, take before I cut you off. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I was just gonna say I feel like you should in my opinion, it's an absolute like must do. You wanna always keep them up open to as many outcomes possible, like Outcomes, yeah. I guess, especially like when you would like them to be understanding yeah. of the opposite perspective. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. You just you just want to keep their horizons open, and that's important. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I just I wonder, like, you do all that work, you know, to try and show them both sides, and then yeah. they end up becoming this person 
that maybe doesn't fit in. You know what I mean? Like, isn't yeah. that more scary when they grow up thinking it's going to be one, like, it's going to be okay for them to be this way. But then, you know, like society pressures and kind of expects you to act a different way. What will happen? You know, uh, I don't know. I think maybe that just... right now in South Louisiana, the child that I would raise if I had one right now and I tried to do that, they probably had a good potential to get bullied or uh, left out for for being more neutral than or not included in some of the more fun or uh, risky activities that either uh, groups would have I think though within within my lifetime I think it could be seen more um plausible yeah. to do something like that and then that there will be groups of people just like there are groups of boys and groups of girls there's going to be groups of more neutral kids who their parents tried this um neutral raising mm-hmm. method that they might click more with yeah it could also be maybe they fit in perfectly on both sides yeah. you know with girls yeah. and boys or something like That's that true. it's like they're you just float in between them. But I guess just the idea that the opposite is possible, that like they don't yeah. fit in or something like that, as a parent, to me, that's more scary. I'm not a parent, that does, but like as someone who would be a parent, you know, it I does feel scare like me. That would be more scary. I, I admitted earlier to um, <laughs> if I ever had a boy that I would conform to social <laughs> right. norms on, on getting them circumcised or not. So, right. I think I would probably also abide by um, whatever are the current normal behaviors for raising children. Yeah. So there were a couple kind of like little things that I I wanted to mention, I wanted to touch on, just ideas that were new to me. So one of those was asexuality. So I think I kind of briefly mentioned there's a ton of different sexualities, you know, there's a bunch of different things or aspects of life that people find sexually desirable and so there's the uh, sexual belief i suppose that you don't find any desire in sex and that's yeah. asexuality there are people that have like had studies done on them they've had machines hooked up to them and then were sexually stimulated and yeah showed like no reaction and so there there are oh. like people that just have like no desire to have sex or just find no get no pleasure out of it so there are asexual people who are in relationships but they may be just like the emotional aspect of the relationship right so like that's what they desire and that's what they get pleasure from and they'll have sex with their partner but not anything for them other than it provides their partner with pleasure that's why they do it and they get joy out of providing them pleasure See, I never once considered that um, an asexual person, that it was an actual, like, physical trait that they couldn't feel. Yeah, so I think that case is much more rare, but it is a thing. (laughs) Again, like, yeah, I was super surprised to learn about that, too. People are asexual. That does exist. I I was familiar with the, the concept. I just never once thought about that getting any pleasure oh okay yeah 
I think I kind of knew about it too, but just not to this extent. I think that's pretty much what you just said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's not always a choice. It can be, of course. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, that's just the way they are. So to me, the idea that an asexual person decides to no longer be asexual or vice versa, you know, someone suddenly decides they're asexual is not that unreasonable and kind of promotes the idea of sexual fluidity. So yeah, sounds good to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> another thing that I found interesting was the fraternal birth effect. So <laughs> I kind of found this a little funny, but older brothers, older brothers increase the odds of homosexuality in later born males, or uh, another way to word that is homosexual men tend to have more older brothers than heterosexual men. So someone who has three or four older brothers and is a boy themselves or a man are more likely to become homosexual. Really? Yeah. That's kind of crazy uh, to me. <laughs> yeah. It is. Uh, it is to me too. I don't know how like sound that is because I yeah. definitely know people that have, I know someone in particular that I'm thinking of, they have three older brothers. They're not homosexual. <laughs> at least, or at least they, may, they, yeah. they just haven't told me. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, that was, that was something really interesting to learn about. I think that's just like a, a statistical kind of analysis. Yeah. So back in the day, there was conversion therapy. Okay. So homosexuality was, you know, not cool. It, and in fact, it was some societies it was seen as a crime and punishable by death even. <laughs> uh, Jeez. But other societies kind of just saw it as a disease. Ours in particular, I believe, uh, America. So they... Like I, I kind of mentioned with Masters and Johnson before they threw out the idea of using behavioral therapy to fix sexual problems or yeah, before homosexuality was you know discovered not to be an issue, <laughs> there was conversion therapy. So they would go to this therapy and it would involve electroshock therapy or um, other, you know, maybe harsher means to try and convince or convert this person from being homosexual <laughs> i think it's like still around probably to a much lesser degree well yeah obviously to a much lesser degree mm -hmm. and so there's a, a desire to abolish it which uh yeah. i i understand because it is indicative of an outdated and unethical line of thought <laughs> yeah but i kind of feel like oh there's also evidence to support that it causes harm and is ineffective uh, I kind of feel like it should be okay. Maybe not like using um, harmful methods, but if someone wants to go to conversion therapy of their own volition, I don't know. I feel like that should be all right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, if they want to go on their own, they if they personally don't enjoy being that way, I guess like that <laughs> they could try something like that. Yeah. Like, just as it would be someone's choice to undergo uh, gay affirmative therapy, which is a thing, um, I feel like it should should be okay for someone to go to conversion therapy. I don't know. As long as it's not what, what forced, I don't see the problem. Yeah. Like, yeah. If, it, if it was completely 100% their choice. Yeah. If it's something they wanted to do, then by all means. <laughs> cool. All right, something else. 
what women find attractive can change during menstruation. And also, men become more attracted to women during this time. Okay, I can attest to this. <laughs> okay, like, it's just like, we don't do it as often, but man, is it every single time that I, like, want it. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah, so I read that, and I was like, no way. <laughs> Dude, yes way. It's so surprising, because it's just like, and she has the, the IUD, so she bleeds less. So, um, very, very light flows. Huh. But still, it still happens. Every time. <laughs> it's it's like, my, it's like my body just knows. To me, that exemplified kind of our natural desire to reproduce uh, yeah. in, a, in an instinctual way. Is like men just know <laughs> and become more attracted. The women, even though they don't know, you know what I Dude, mean? Yes, <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> so, uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about is love and sex. Now, like traditionally, oh. these things kind of go hand in hand, you know, like that's how I was brought yeah. up. You shouldn't have sex with someone you don't love, kind of. Yeah, so yes, I, I will say that <laughs> that perspective has kind of changed. Uh, now, not to say that. You know, obviously, you can have that desire. Yeah. That you only want to have sex with someone you love. I actually, yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> I don't really want to have sex with just anyone, but it is okay if you can separate those things and you want to separate those things. Like, look at look at sex as just sex. Yeah. Go for it. Um, Something for joy and yeah, and pleasure, fun, yeah. pleasure. So, uh, I wanted to ask you guys how how do those concepts interact in your own life or like your beliefs or something do you think like one is required for the other does one change the other in any way and like what uh, messages or beliefs do you have around love and sex so um earlier i did talk about um having a more traditional view on sex where i do feel like i should love the person Mm -hmm. that i am having sex with the the surprising thing is that i I didn't start here necessarily. The The first time that I did have sex, it was with someone that I'd only dated for like two weeks. Mm-hmm. And it was fun, but it just wasn't what I thought. Okay. Like just the sex, it wasn't what you yeah, were expecting? Yeah, it, it, it didn't have that connection that I was looking for. And then my next partner, it was, it was more of an instinctual thing and what ended up happening was that sex more or less led into the relationship that i had and i didn't have sex with someone that i had loved at that point but that brought me into the relationship where i then did love that person and then i did feel that the sex was more gratifying after that point yeah so you would say Uh that love amplifies sex I would say person, that it does. Or, I know. would say that it, I would agree that love makes sex better and sex helps you stay loving. Mm, okay. Wow. Cool. Well, thanks. I used to, I, the thought of like marriage being necessary was kind of like a norm at the time, especially for my family. But then now, as of now, 
the norm is like, oh, I just do it for fun. And that mentality like slowly creeped into me. And I soon didn't believe in like the marriage stuff. Like to an extent I still do. But like not as much as I used to. So Yeah. From so. from what I believe as of now, and especially with my experiences, I believe that love and sex do go to together hand hand by hand. Is that the expression? Hand in hand. Uh hand in hand, thank yeah. you. And like Nathaniel stated uh from from it, the sounds of it anyway. <laughs> it can be amplified, but it it's not necessary. So like basically similar to what Nathaniel said, like originally you thought marriage had to happen and you had yeah. to love the person you married, but now it's kinda like you don't have to love or you don't have to get married. So the idea of love and sex kinda don't necessarily have to go together, but yeah, they, it's, they can and especially and they, it's more. They do make sorry. it better. Did you say that? For me, they make it better. Okay. Yeah, and especially since uh, I'm not that active, it's more of like just sheer curiosity and maybe like trying new things. Mm -hmm. So, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So, um, I personally believe uh, love and sex are two completely different things. But they can very easily coincide, and they often do. So, like, these two comp concepts often amplify each other in a positive way, I think. And it would be difficult to have one without the other, but it's not required. Obviously, for asexual people, you can have love without sex. And then for certain people, uh, not me, but you can have sex without love. It could purely be that you just want to have sex for whatever yeah, reason. For the for the pleasure, fun, whatever. Exactly. I believe that for some people, the two concepts can be mutually exclusive, or at least, like I said, do not necessarily need to coincide. Um, yeah, and the main message I was taught was when it comes to love and sex, you should love the person you have sex with. So before wrapping this up, I just wanted to mention that a lot of the information and the readings came from the Psychology of Human Sexuality book by Justin Lay Miller. So if you wanted to look into more about this, that'd be a great place to start. Obviously, you know, everyone has access to the internet, but just make sure your information is reliable. So yeah, I think that's going to do it. I want to thank you guys for being guests. And then I also want to thank of anyone yeah, that no showed up and that wanted to listen to all this. I hope you learned something or found some part of this interesting. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Yeah, um, and that's going to do it. Bye-bye.